We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. It is 6.08 in the Twin Cities, a cozy 8 degrees. But this is the way it's supposed to be in January in Minnesota. Right, folks? That's right. All right, Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. We have a great show lined up for you, uh, along with uh, Jonathan Lowe, our studio coordinator and producer. Uh, this half hour, we're going to visit with Joe Tamburino, who is a criminal defense attorney who I've used uh, on many, many cases. He did a really great job uh, with Frank Vassalero on the air uh, about 10 days ago when the Jamie Claus story broke, really breaking it down and – about you know the implications, the charges, what lies ahead. Obviously, this guy has confessed. Can you still go ahead and plead not guilty? Uh, there's been some question, would he try and plead some kind of insanity, although clearly this thing was so well planned out. But I, I do want to ask uh, Joe about that and what um, sort of the legal strategies are going forward because it's, it looks like this eventually will be headed to some kind of trial unless, of course uh, – this Jake Patterson pleads guilty, uh, which one would hope that certainly probably would help that poor child uh, to not have to go through a trial. But I, I want to ask Joe about – and how, how does a court take that into account? Uh, one would hope that if there has to be a trial, that it could be done in a way so that this poor girl is not re-victimized or doesn't have to live it all over again. I would I would pray that that could be a possibility. Uh, thanks so much, Sloan. And uh, Sloan just handing me uh, a story that she read about a horrible story out of Casson, where authorities say uh, uh, Julio Baez, who worked for the police department in Casson, a former southeastern police officer, pleaded guilty to sexual assault charges involving girls in three different counties over a period of 20 years. Uh, there are so many horrible stories like this. And later in our 7 o'clock hour, we are going to talk with Allison Fay, who is the director of the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center. Uh, they do so many wonderful things and we want to talk to them about the resources that are out there, not just for these spectacular headline-grabbing cases, but the ones that are horrible that we don't hear as much about and, and what help is out there for folks. Uh, also this half hour or this hour, excuse me. We're going to talk with Representative Frank Hornstein, who is behind a, a really big push at the Capitol, and I think it's going to happen, folks. I was there earlier this week. The, the governor said he would sign on for it. A hands-free bill. I think a lot of people say it's about time, and I think that there is going to be a reckoning on distracted driving, uh, whether it comes to amping up the penalties, but I do think we're going to see some kind of hands-free bill, and Frank Hornstein of course, a Minneapolis state representative is all over that. And then in 8 o'clock hour, we're going to talk, chat with David Schultz. I have not seen him or talked to him in a long time. He was actually on a trip for the State Department. He goes all over the world giving lectures for the State Department and he ran – they ran out of money. Not, not – Dave didn't run out of money, I hope, but the State Department ran out of money and they had to cut the trip short. So I, I'm kind of curious how that goes down and how this shutdown is perceived. We're also going to talk to him about the president's offer uh, that Democrats so far are pretty lukewarm towards. 
which would be giving uh, the dreamers, the dreamer kids, uh, basically three years for, to allow them to stay. So it would be a temporary uh, withdrawal of the threat to deport them in exchange for the money for the wall. So a, a, a lot going on, a lot going on in the world of politics clearly. But let's take a quick break. You are listening to News Talk 830. It's 6.15 in the Twin Cities. Well, obviously the entire nation, not just our region, has been following this uh, unbelievable escape by this young, brave girl, Jamie Kloss, and and the horrifying story of what she went through, uh, as well as what appears to be an unfolding court case. Uh, Obviously, uh, Jake Patterson, the man who confessed to abducting Jamie and and murdering her parents, is right now being held in a Wisconsin jail uh, joining me right now, Joe Tamburino and Joe, criminal defense attorney. As I said earlier, uh, you you and Frank Vassilaro really did a nice job, you know, breaking it down for the public and and for viewers on WCCO TV when this happened because it was just all so shocking. So I, I appreciate you joining you right now. Hi, Esme. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that that was really it was a lot of it. It was very good that uh, Frank asked me on, and we were able to do that. I thought it was it was a good way of presenting it to the public. Right, I, and I think I think we needed sort of the context that that you were able to bring. Let let me ask you this: um, So this guy has confessed. He said, "I did it." Gave them details about how he did it. Uh, does that mean automatically that he'll still go to trial, or that he won't go to trial? Can he still plead not guilty, even though he's confessed? Absolutely, because pleading guilty or not guilty isn't always about whether you are truly guilty or innocent. It's about whether the state can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you're guilty of the charges. I think in this case, the state will be able to do that. I think that's clear. But he could continue his not guilty plea for as long as he wants up until trial. And I don't know if he'll actually want a trial in this case, but he's he's definitely entitled to it. Right. So, and I don't think he's entered a plea yet. That's correct. Or so, and, right and I now, think, what he? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, what was and what was the appearance? So he was the, it was an initial appearance, but I and I know he's got another appearance on February sixth, I believe. That's right. In Wisconsin, as in most states, when you're dealing with a felony crime, your first appearance is simply an initial appearance where they have to deal with bail or conditions of release. And tell the person what they're charged with, whether they want to be, uh, whether they want to have the charges read aloud, things along those lines. You don't enter a plea of guilty or not guilty. You don't do that till the next appearance. And in Wisconsin, that's called a preliminary hearing. In Minnesota, it's called an omnibus hearing. And that's all about whether or not the judge finds probable cause, meaning there's enough evidence that's purported in the complaint uh, to go to hold hold the case over for trial. Okay. And so so that would likely happen at that February 6th appearance. Correct. I mean, there's no doubt in this case that there's enough evidence to find right. probable cause. No right. doubt. Right. And in terms of, you know, I mean, I think just looking at this case, I, I can only say, and I think it's pretty obvious, it would be so much better for this girl, this child, if she didn't have to go through a trial. Is there any way, if he wants to go to trial, does he absolutely have the right to go to trial? Absolutely, he does. But we have to remember this. I don't think it's necessary for Jamie Kloss to testify at this trial. I mean, in most murder cases, you don't have 
a victim because obviously the person is dead and you don't have an eyewitness. And most of them you don't. In this case, you have two murder charges, which can be proven without having Jamie testify. And then you have the even though she was Jamie, the uh, even though she was the eyewitness. That's correct. Oh, but you've got the confession. Well, you have a number of things. You have all of the forensic and scientific evidence showing that uh, how the manner of death was, how they died. And then you have his confession. So his confession corroborated with the scientific evidence is enough to get a conviction. And you could even do that with her kidnapping charge all out of Barron County. Right. And, and the evidence you could have. So in other words, it, you you think in, in your professional opinion, it, it's possible that if he does choose to go to trial, prosecutors could do this. They've got a strong enough case to be able to do it without having that that child on the stand. Exactly right. I don't even think it's possible. I think it is likely that they okay. would not put Jamie on the stand for this trial. The only time she would really be needed as a witness is if Douglas County charges uh, Patterson for some type of, of assault, whether it's, you know, general assault, sexual assault, something along those lines, then it would become more of an issue as to whether or not she would have to testify because she would have to say, uh, I was assaulted by this man. Whereas in the Barron County case, with the main charges of the two first degree yeah. murders and the kidnapping, her testimony is not needed. And I think it's likely that if he goes to trial, they will not call her as a witness. Right. And and couldn't they – and I know that, that prosecutors often when they try and get ready for a case, they try and pile on as much as they can. Would it be possible for them to go ahead with these obviously incredibly serious charges? I mean it doesn't get more serious than this. You know, the the, the two murder charges, the kidnapping, the, the burglary in um, – in Barron County. And if they win, I mean, the, the guy's looking at life in prison, right? Absolutely. He will get two life sentences. Now, I know there's been some discussion. Well, in Wisconsin, there is a provision in the law that a judge on a first degree murder can say, well, they have to serve a minimum of 20 years. And then the judge could allow extended supervision, which is like a parole type of system. But I mean, let's face it, in a case like this, there is no way a judge in Barron County is going to allow Patterson to have any type of parole or extended supervision. That's just not going to happen. Right. If he's convicted of two first-degree murders, he will never leave prison. Right. And so, and so, why why even bring up? Why even drag, you know, allegations of any kind of assault up in in uh, Douglas County because he's already locked up for life. That is correct. I mean, I mean do prosecutors thing, think that way? I would hope that they would. Just they in this do, case. because I think what they'll do is they'll try to use the Douglas County as a bargaining chip. I mean, they could say to him, look, if you plead guilty to the first degree charges and simply take the life sentence, we won't pile on charges in Douglas County. Now, a lot of people would say, well, I mean, what does he have to lose? He's going to be in prison for the rest of his life anyway. Well, he does have something to lose because when you're in the penal system, when you're in a state prison, it matters whether or not there are pending cases in other counties. You could be denied prison programs, certain types of classes because you have ongoing cases. So it could be very disruptive to his serving prison time if he had ongoing matters in Douglas County. Additionally, the more charges you have, the more security risk you are, which means you could also be prevented from going into different programs. And prisons have all different types of programs. Prisons want to make an incentive for you to behave. Therefore, 
they offer you certain programs. And if you can't get into them, that's to the detriment of you serving the sentence. Right. Uh, I saw in an interview, uh, his defense attorneys were asked about two issues. One, uh, a possible uh, insanity defense and, and the second, uh, a change of possible change of venue. And they said, you know, it's just too early, which is understandable. I mean, they just obviously would just assign the case. Change of venue. I really have not seen that. I mean, that's pretty rare that that gets granted, doesn't it? It's extremely rare. And in today's world, it's almost impossible to do because let's face it, whether you have a a trial in Barron County or Milwaukee, or say you move it out of state and go to Illinois or something like that, you cannot escape the publicity with the web uh, media. It's just impossible to escape it. So change of venue is less and less likely to happen in today's world because our media is so fast and so pervasive. Interesting. Now, as to insanity, I I don't think that's going to happen. And we saw that at the initial appearance. If you recall, the judge asked the defendant if he understood the charges, and you saw the defendant answer very clearly. The judge also asked his own defense attorney, does he understand that he has a right to have what's called a speedy preliminary hearing? You have to have it within 20 days. And is he knowingly and voluntarily waiving that speedy right so he can have the prelim later than 20 days? And the attorney answered yes. So if there was some mental defect of reason or functioning, you would think it would have been brought up already. Right. So I don't think that's going to happen. Right. And, and and certainly in that in that complaint, that there's evidence of, of- – the extraordinary planning uh, of, you know, going to the house several times, which obviously he had to have told them that he went to the house several times or twice before, but there were too many cars in the driveway. So he decided not to carry it out and he, you know, got stolen plates on his car and he had the, the dash or the overhead light in the car yeah. turned off. I mean, doesn't that suggest somebody who's fully there in terms of putting something yes. like this together? Yes. Because that 12-page complaint is dripping with premeditation and planning. There is no doubt about that. And what we have to understand is there is a difference between when we talk about in common language, oh, this person's insane, he's crazy, and legally insane or legally crazy. Those are two different things. You could be evil and crazy in society, but not meet the insanity definition. And I think that would be the case here. Well, so far, you know, just from where you, you're sitting, I mean, do you feel, and I, you know, the pressure and the glare of this and the extraordinary media scrutiny, which uh, is well deserved and certainly I think helped at least, you know, at least these, these wonderful people that rescued or helped rescue this kid, yeah. they, they, they knew who she was. I mean, they knew immediately who she was, which is great to see. Um, do you think overall they seem to be handling things pretty well? I think the uh, prosecutor's office is handling it very well. I mean, this is a small county. Yeah. Uh, this is, a, you know, next to Turtle Lake Casino. It is a very rural county, but I think they have marshaled all their resources and have done a very good job. Additionally, they've been really tight-lipped with information. I mean, they put a lot in the complaint, of course, and they gave a press conference, but they've really played everything else close to the vest in terms of how much information would be leaked out of forthcoming evidence. And I think that's very professional and smart. Right. I also think it's just very interesting, your your view and your take, that perhaps they can just avoid the whole issue of what happened to her in Douglas County during those 88 days of captivity because they've got so much else. 
They do. And I think his own attorneys are probably telling him that because the bottom line is this. People in jails and prison have access to TV and media. Not as much as we do, of course, but they know what's going on. And would you want to go through not only a hellacious trial of two first-degree murders and a kidnapping, but whatever ungodly thing was done in Douglas County, would you want all that to come out in the press for months and months, knowing that you're going into a state prison? I don't think so. I think you would want to end this as soon as possible and go quietly into prison. Right. Although, obviously, this this man is, is completely completely deranged but it does it does seem like that they are handling it really well i know that they've moved him from barron county is as you said is is very very small and has a very small jail it's a relatively new legal um center but i guess it is but but it's still pretty small you know whereas um uh in balsam lake which is polk county their facility is much larger and i think they're used to handling sort of more high security prisoners so they seem to be handling that right But the the reason I I think the reason the primary reason behind them moving him is someone who works in the Barron County Jail. I don't know if it's a sheriff deputy or a civilian jailer has a tie family. So there would be a clear conflict. Um, You can't have a jailer supervise someone who's in the jail who's accused of killing one of your friends or family members. I mean, that you just can't have that. So I think that was the primary reason that they transferred him to Balsam Lake. Okay. There's somebody asked me um, because they'd seen some, you know, kidnapping cases end up in, in federal court. Is this just purely in Wisconsin courts because it's entirely in the state of Wisconsin? That is absolutely correct. Uh, all of the evidence that we know so far is that she was abducted in Barron County and taken to Douglas County, which is approximately, I think the distance between the two locales was about 60 miles. If there was any evidence that he drove her, say, uh, you know, across the river into Pine County, Minnesota, definitely the federal authorities would take over. But this seems to be completely within Wisconsin. Okay. Well, listen, Joe Tamburino, as always, um, thank you so much for your insights. And again, I think you and Frank really did a, a great job sort of laying out thank this you. horrific story uh, for all of us to understand and um, to recognize what an amazing job this girl did getting herself she out did. of this. It's unbelievable. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. And that is Joe Tamburino. Again, he did a really nice – she and Frank did, I just thought, a terrific job. He always does a a terrific job just breaking out. And it would be nice if they could avoid – it would be nice if it does have to go to trial. And if you know what Joe was saying is that he thinks that there's more than enough to be able to bring it to trial without having to have her testify and and have to go through the whole thing again. I just think that would be a great way to do it if that's possible. All right, folks, uh, Esme Murphy along with uh, producer Jonathan Lowe here on a ooh chilly, chilly, chilly Saturday night. Um, we're going to take a little break. I'm going to give you the weather uh, and then uh, we're going to be joined by Representative Frank Hornstein from Minneapolis. And folks, you know, just from what I saw at the Capitol earlier this week, I think we're looking at a hands-free bill. This would be a big departure for Minnesota, but I think it's going to happen. And uh, Representative Hornstein has been at the legislature for a long time. He's one of the people behind this, and there are a lot of people behind this. It's not just a Democratic issue. It's it's a very bipartisan group that is pushing for this. So we'll talk to him about that and and other legislative priorities. Uh, That's coming up uh, on News Talk 830 WCCO when we come back. Some weather.
All right, folks. Let's be honest here. As we sit here on News Talk 830, have you ever glanced at your phone while driving? Have you made a phone call? I think almost all of us have. And I think that law allowing for talking on the phone, uh, even looking at uh, a phone for navigational purposes, obviously it's illegal in Minnesota to text and drive. Uh, I think there are going to be changes in the law. I mean just judging by uh, a a couple of news conferences I went to, I believe it was on Monday at the state capitol uh, from legislators and then also comments by all of the legislative leaders including the governor – uh, but legislative leaders uh, on both sides of the aisle, both Republicans and Democrats, it does seem like the time has come where something's going to happen. But the person who really would know all about that is Representative Frank Hornstein from Minneapolis. He represents District 61A, and he is pushing one of the major bills at the Capitol to crack down on distracted driving. Representative Hornstein, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much. Good evening, Esme. Well, it's great to have you. Um, You've been at the Capitol a long time. Is this the year that something could happen here? It's looking good. You know, you never can tell uh, in the legislative process. But uh, as you mentioned, uh, we have the leadership from both political parties on board this year. And uh, there is a lot of momentum. A lot of work was done over the summer and fall. And uh, we believe we're poised to become the 18th state to have a law where people can't uh, talk on their cell phone uh, if, if it's a handheld device. You can still talk uh, with a cell phone, but it has it can't be handheld. It has to be a hands-free uh, situation. So like maybe a Bluetooth headset or something mounted on the uh, dash with a speakerphone, would that be legal? Under yes, and other than that, you know, you have a lot of cars now that, you know, people can just have a audio voice and, uh, you know, it's programmed and, and you can use that too. Okay. Um, and, and that's the specifics of, of your bill. And tell us who's behind your bill because it's not – this is not you're, – you're a Democrat, but Republicans are behind these bills as well. Yes. The Senate author is Senator Scott Newman from Hutchinson and he is the chair of the Transportation Committee in the Senate. And he's a Republican. the Transportation Committee in the House. So you've got the two chairs of the Transportation Committees backing and that's a lot of clout there. Yes. And we have uh, – people from both sides of the aisle in both chambers. So we have Republican House members and uh, Democratic senators as well. So all four of the major caucuses have, uh, have representation in terms of authorship of this bill. Okay. There's a separate push. Oh, maybe it's not a separate push. You can tell me, but there is a talk also of upping the penalties. Where do you sit on that? And I know that there's at least one separate bill that deals, deals with that, right? Correct, Esme. There is the our bill is simply the the hands free section. It's 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 a straight up approach that we want to prevent this from happening in the first place. Uh, this is really a a preventative measure. Uh, it also helps enforce the texting ban a lot easier. That's what law enforcement has told us. Um, but you're right. There is a there are different bills that uh, are looking at increasing penalties, and we will hear those bills. Uh, separately from the hands-free, uh, it's complicated. You don't know. You know, there's a lot of debate about whether we should up the penalties, and if so, how much? Uh, should what's the classification of this crime? That's a, a much longer process to sort of sort through all of those questions. Right, and, but and, we will be hearing those bills, and there's a, a pretty decent chance we could increase penalties as well. Right, and that was something that um, you know Tom Bach. Uh, 
the uh, Senate Minority Leader said that he was concerned about like upping the penalties. You know that there just has to be more education. Uh, but yes. In terms of um, – I also thought it was very interesting at your news conference, you also had Colonel Matt Langer there who's the head of the state patrol. And I guess I had never really thought about this but it sounds as if when they pull people over uh, you know, for this – texting and driving is illegal in Minnesota. They, they get the argument, well, I was, I was going to talk on my phone or I was looking at my um, – you know, I was looking at my GPS on my phone. And that sounds like that's been a problem for them. Yes, and that's why this hands-free bill will help uh, the state patrol and, and other law enforcement to enforce that texting ban. So I really think that's a, a key part of this. And, of course, I think there's a unanimity that, that people should not be texting while driving, but it becomes somewhat difficult to enforce that, and, and this bill will help do that. Right. Um, and in terms of... Um it also sounds like there's been movement because this this proposal did come up last year, and, and there's some you know really remarkable people who whose families have been so tragically affected that they've lost loved ones. And I, I you know specifically V.J. Dixit comes to mind. He lost his daughter. He has been trying to push for this for years, but hearing these stories, it's really the consequences are just devastating. Yet this was all presented last year, and it just kind of got nowhere. What 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 happened? Well, the bill did uh, in the House where where um, I'm involved. Uh, it, it got through all of the committees, but then once it got to the floor, it never was really given an, a, a, the airing that it needed and deserved in order to pass. So it just stalled out. And we understand that the. Then Speaker uh, Kurt Dowd and some of the other leaders in the House didn't really want to put this to a vote, but um, I believe he's on board this year. He, you know, something he he was at that. Um, in addition to the two news conferences that were on Monday, there was Forum News had a, a briefing for reporters with legislative leaders, and he was the first person that because I asked the question, and he was the first person that answered. He said, "You know, something last year." Our caucus was not on board with it, and obviously he was the House Speaker that this year. He's not the House Speaker. Melissa Hortman is uh, a Democrat. Is this year? But he said our caucus is on board. So I, yes, I think I think that that's a big deal. Very encouraging to hear that. And and you made a, an excellent point about these families. They have come in year and year out, come to the Capitol. They've told these heart wrenching stories. And uh, they have been incredible advocates because, you know, they have felt this this very deep loss. And, and I think they're doing this to honor their loved ones because they don't want other families to have to go through what they went through. Right. Um, it does seem um, we do have to take uh, a quick little break here. But I'd like to see if I could keep you on because I'd like to ask you a few other things about the capitalists here because it seems like there's a different tone. I don't know if you would agree, but uh, – and obviously this is a big year for the legislature, so we'd love to get your insights as to whether you think other other things that have not gotten very far in the past can actually get accomplished. So more with Frank Hornstein after this. He is, of course, the state representative from Minneapolis. Keep it here. You're listening to News Talk 830. It is 
It is uh, still six degrees in the Twin Cities. I'm chatting with Representative Frank Hornstein from Minneapolis. He is the chair of the House Transportation Committee. We were talking about uh, the push to get hands-free bill through the legislature. Representative Hornstein telling us that he really thinks this could be the year that could happen. But since I've got you here, uh, let me ask you about some other measures. Just overall, there's been so much divisiveness at the Capitol, uh, so many problems, inability to get things done. You guys have to get something. You have to, you guys have to get, get got to get the major bills done this year because it's one of those years where you have to. But overall, do you think the different parties are going to be able to work together better? I think there's a new tone this year. Uh, our, our Speaker of the House, our, our new Speaker of the House, Melissa Hortman, said uh, after we were sworn in, uh, it's time to take off the, the red jerseys and the blue jerseys and let's govern. Uh, and that's really important. And, and I, I think we, we're off to a good start, at least in terms of, you know, having a more positive tone together. Now, you know, the nature of democracy is that we have different perspectives and disagreements and we work those through. That's the, that's what government is about in a democracy. But, but we can do that in a way that's respectful and civil. And I think you're going to see more of that this year. All right. One of the things that we saw a, a big push for last year from from some groups was for some kind of tougher gun control measure, including a, a crackdown on what some people consider a loophole, and that is uh, tougher requirements for registration of handgun sales, especially uh, at some of these gun shows. Uh, what wh- What is your take on that? I know how you, you feel about this, but but do you think something is going to happen with that? I think certainly background checks, the the red flag laws, where we're really trying to ensure that uh, the gun sales are done properly and that uh, folks who are dangerous or have uh, other issues are not owning firearms. And I I think, again, there's growing momentum towards laws such as those, and uh, bills have already been introduced to that effect. And so um, my guess is they'll be certainly heard in the House of Representatives and and hopefully in the Senate, and we can make, start making some progress on that right. on that issue. Yeah, you know, we've seen protests on both sides of this issue, but but the the protests involving uh, this one group, Minnesota Moms Demand Action, and they they said that I've talked to some of their leaders, and they said that they were actually surprised themselves by the turnout. I mean, you know, last year I think one of at their first rally they were expecting twenty people, and they got two hundred. Uh, at the Capitol, and you, you, we've seen images of them, you know, holding up their in their red T-shirts and holding up signs. Does that resonate with legislators? I mean, I mean, even if they're against the particular issue that's being lobbied for. Absolutely. When people write their legislators, when they call their legislators, meet legislators in their uh, in their district uh, at the Capitol, uh, make their voices heard. That really does have an impact, and so. You know, whatever the issue you're involved in, whatever side of the issue you're involved in, it really does make a difference to get involved. Um, I do also want to ask you about uh, legalizing marijuana. Governor Tim Walz uh, ran on this, and he won not just obviously on this issue, but it seems to be fairly popular, but yet very controversial. There was a very heated news conference at the uh, state capitol in which people who were against this were – shouted down. I, are, is Minnesota ready for this? Well, there's certainly going to be a conversation about it. I think we're ready to have that conversation. We've uh, passed medical marijuana, and um, you know that's been very helpful to many 
uh, patients who are in pain. And so uh, now I think it's time for a conversation uh, about uh, legalization. Uh, I'm not sure, again, what the timing of that is going to be, if it will happen. Um, my sense is that in the Minnesota House of Representatives, we're going to be looking at education, health care, transportation issues like that uh, as a priority. But certainly a conversation should happen uh, about the, the, the marijuana issue. All right. And finally, I guess I'd just like to ask you, is it going to come down to the last hours again? Well, I, I, I mean, the governor governor said hey, they're, they're working together to get all the bills there, you know, or late April, which it would be wonderful. But it just it just seems so crazy. No, it has been the, the nature of this uh, uh, legislative, the legislative process is that a, a number of these questions do get resolved later on in the process. But I, I hope and trust that this year. You know, we're going to have a lot more transparency at the end of session. You know, we have had situations where, you know, we have a midnight deadline that's constitutionally mandated uh, in May. And, you know, legislators have seen long bills that they have not, you know, been familiar with and are asked to vote on. That's wrong. And we need to have much more transparency and openness uh, on those last days and weeks of session. Right. And again, I think our new leadership is committed to do that. Right. It'd be great to see. It just, it just seems insane. And these bills are getting passed or there are changes being made to them. And it's impossible to, to know what you're voting on. It just can't happen. Yes. And, and that, that doesn't serve uh, the public and it certainly doesn't serve, you know, the, the, the legislature very well because we, we really need to know the details about you know, what's, what are in these bills. So I'm very, very hopeful we're not going to have so many of these late night sessions and uh, leaving things till the end. Now, some of that <laughs> does happen. I mean, we're going to have uh, negotiations probably up till the end, but I really hope that there's no special session and that we get our work done on time. You know, it's very interesting, Esme. Minnesota is the only state, only state that has a split legislature, meaning that one body is the controlled by the Democrats and the other by the Republicans. So if we can set an example to the nation that our split legislature can get our work done and get it done on time and get it done well, that would really be fantastic. Right. And that that is something that I find just remarkable because our nation is so divided. But what Representative Hornstein was just saying, think about this, folks, of all the state legislators in the entire country, there's only one state that has a, a Republican Senate and a Democratic House, or or vice versa. Everybody else has all Republicans in terms of the legislative control, or all Democrats, and and that's just amazing to me that we're the only one. Uh, I think it says that Minnesota is, I think, still does support divided government. I think people would like to see a little more get done, though. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> and um, and we have some really important issues before us that that need to get resolved, and. Um, and I look forward to that process. It's, it's there's a lot of give and take, a lot of debate, but again, as I said earlier, that's that's what democracy is all about, and that's what makes our state and, and and nation special. All right. Well, listen, Frank Hornstein, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time this evening. Thank you for having me, and have a great rest of the weekend, Esme. Absolutely. You too, sir. And then we'll see you at the around the legislature, probably. Yes. Uh, yes. For sure. Take care. Absolutely. All right, that's Representative Frank Hornstein from Minneapolis. He is the chair of the very powerful Transportation Committee. And it's going to be interesting to see how that develops, whether there will be, in addition, tougher penalties 
But uh, I do think that some kind of hands-free bill will be passed and I think it's – people are for it. People want that change. They want to see that change. Well, folks, uh, still kind of chilly here, six degrees. But uh, as I said earlier, uh, watching some or, – or just a few moments ago, I guess the game may have concluded. But uh, Bemidji and Greenway up on a monitor playing outside in Bemidji tonight where it's minus 11 we can handle this. No big deal. And uh, obviously a big day of football tomorrow. Jonathan Lowe, I remember you saying a few weeks ago, your mood in January would all depend on how your Chiefs are doing. And right now you're feeling pretty good, aren't you? I'm I'm on the positive side of, of even keel. <laughs> that could definitely change tomorrow right. um, by, I don't know, 830 uh, eight forty, nine o'clock, sometime in that uh, that time span. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Right. Well, it's uh, and it's lucky they're not playing in New England. Obviously, for your your team, you you want them to be playing down in Kansas City, but it's lucky they're not playing in New England because they are going to get hammered. Yeah, and this is it's kind of weird because last by the weather, week, I mean. <laughs> right. Well, one can hope. One can hope tomorrow. Right. Got to get it ready, boys. Right. Uh. So um. No, last week was a snowstorm actually that went through. Right, it's that Kansas middle belt of the country has just gotten hit. They've got hit. Uh, they got hit with the, in Missouri. Just horrible video. Yeah, um, this storm that's going to be hitting Boston and New York and Philadelphia and up and down that northeast corridor tomorrow uh, went through Kansas City, St. Louis, uh, Indianapolis, Cincinnati. Uh, the last twenty-four to thirty-six hours, and so they've been hit. Basically twice in about a week span with uh, quite a yeah. bit of snow, and it usually doesn't happen there. There might be a snowfall here, a snowfall there, but having a couple big storms train through, it's more on the rare side in that neck of the right. woods. Right. But the fact that they went through the snow last week, fortunately, it was on the back end. They didn't yeah. get the main portion of it during the game last Saturday. Uh, that helped them out. They might have been prepared for Boston tomorrow, but. Really, when you're talking about a lot of ice, and it's not just the fact that they're getting snow, they may be getting quite a bit of ice, Ooh. and that's going to be a big, big, uh, big factor in this storm, and, wow. and a lot of times a more treacherous factor when you right. get ice instead of snow. Wow! Oh gosh! Yeah, I think I think I think we'll all, well, a lot of us would like to take. Well, a lot of us would welcome some more snow in in our in the immediate Twin yes. Cities. Yes, and and as as much as I complain about the snow because I do, um, I do understand it's worth its value. Uh, Absolutely, to, to covering you know to covering fields to getting uh, latent moisture in for right. the spring. So I do understand cross country skiers. Cross country well, skiers. Yeah, that's, that's that's on the back end. No, um, our snowmobilers. Yeah. Well, All and again, it, the people that enjoy this weather, that, that go out yeah. and enjoy it, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, ATVs, uh, or snowmobiles, yeah. um, this has been a rough winter for them at this point. Hopefully, in the last couple months of it, we'll get yeah. some more coming through. Uh, hopefully not by April, like last year. Oh, but, that was terrible. But <laughs> but terrible. Um, but yeah, hopefully they do get some snow here uh, here. Yeah. Uh, for for anything just else, not in April. Just, just for yeah. moisture, just for yeah. moisture to make sure that we're not having a very dry spring. Right. All right. Well, we have much more ahead here on this edition of Saturday Night with Esme. Coming up, we will be joined by Allison Fay. She is the director of the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center to talk about the Jamie Claw story, but also what resources are available for families and kids 
to learn about these things. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.